Let me start with a phrase that you're going to get sick of me saying, but that you have to get if you're going to fully grasp what Mark is trying to communicate in his gospel. The Markan sandwich. And yes, you heard me right. It's a strange phrase, but the idea is all throughout his gospel. Mark throws some sandwiches in. Meaning he begins one story, and then before finishing it, he launches into a second story, and then when the second story is done, he returns to the first and finishes it. He cuts the story in half and inserts another story within it. It's a story within a story. The first story is the bread, and the second story is the good stuff in the middle, and so we call it a sandwich on purpose because as every sandwich enthusiast knows, although the bread is super important, it's really there to set up what's in the middle. Often when you come across a story in Mark's gospel that feels strange or out of place, it's because it's one piece of bread, helping to tell the bigger story in the middle with a deeper meaning. And today, we reach our first Markan sandwich. Pay attention to the structure and you'll notice Mark is telling us something way bigger and more beautiful than we realized at first. Welcome to Season 6 of Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. In this season, we are walking through Mark's gospel. Our hope is that these short episodes would lead you into more, into a time of reading, reflection, prayer, whatever it is for you, the goal is that you let the amazing story about the Savior of the world transform the way you live out your life today. John quickly realized that the house wasn't going to be nearly big enough for this next stage of Jesus' ministry, but it was a start. It offered a central meeting location for the next part of Jesus' teaching. The content continued to flow out of him so new, so innovative, so subversive. And the signs that followed, the demons being cast into the abyss, the darkness being replaced by light. Everyone felt immensely better the closer they got to the rabbi, hence this crowd. So many people vying for his attention that Jesus and the disciples didn't even have time to eat. A reality that was beginning to set in for John as he realized he didn't even remember the last time they sat down and shared a meal together. And as much as he loved what was happening, he also mourned it. A good meal and a good glass of wine had become his favorite part of hanging out together. The moments where they recapped the day, but also the laughter and the pranks and the times where they didn't talk about anything heavy at all. The necessary relief after all the heaviness the days brought. In a moment of panic, John began to feel like the crowd was closing in on him, like they were starting to be too much. He needed some air. He needed to get out of the house. And by the time he looked over to Jesus, to his surprise, Jesus was already staring at him as if he knew what John was feeling before he did. Jesus just smiled and with a subtle nod to the left, invited John to step out and take as much time as he needed. John stepped out behind the house and sat down, closing his eyes, beginning to count each breath. 
but his eyes quickly shot open as a few men that he recognized approached him. John had only met the men once, but recognized them immediately. James and Judas, sons of Joseph, Jesus' own brothers. They made a beeline for John, and he could tell from their pace that something was wrong. You are one of his close friends. Don't you see what is happening? James said by way of introduction. I'm, I'm sorry, what? John said, trying to regain his focus after their surprise attack. Our brother, James said sternly. He's always been a bit out there, but he's lost his mind. And he's bringing a whole bunch of other people down with him. You aren't doing anything to help him. You're just enabling him. John's mind began racing scrambling for words jesus always seemed to know what to say in these types of moments he on the other hand did not go get him they said staring down the crowd we want to talk to him john weighed his options carefully a little too carefully james and judas just rolled their eyes and stormed off leaving him mid-thought when John peeked back into the house, he found that Jesus was dealing with another set of critiques. The teachers of the law had shown up in full force. Last time they had been in this house, four friends had cut a hole in the roof and Jesus had healed the man on his mat. That day, the teachers of the law were at a loss for words, but today they came equipped with their argument. It's the prince of demons. Can't you all see? The teacher said loudly, trying to turn the crowd. This man is driving out demons with a stronger demon. John's head was spinning. When it rains, it pours, he thought to himself, trying to eye the religious leaders and track down Jesus' own brothers at the same time, wondering if they'd need to make a run for it. Jesus, on the other hand, remained calm. His face showed no hint of frustration, almost as if he welcomed the question. Then he did what he did best, launched into a parable. Imagine there is a kingdom divided against itself, Jesus said. That kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Jesus finished his parable and then looked directly at the religious leaders. How can Satan drive out Satan? He asked them. The teachers sighed. They took a deep breath but didn't look up, stumped again. John felt a brief moment of relief, but it was quickly interrupted by another voice. Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. John's chest tightened. He could have stopped this. He should have stopped this. But because of his inaction, now Jesus was being put on the spot in front of everyone. Jesus thought a second longer about this one, contemplating how to handle the situation. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. The crowd just stared back, no answer to be had. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. 
If the room was uncomfortable after the religious leader's question, it had become downright unbearable. A few people in the crowd got up and walked out, but Jesus just continued teaching. Okay, so this is a really strange story, but did you see the sandwich? When you do, it changes the way you hear it. Remember, the idea is that Mark tells a story within a story. He starts one, interrupts it with a second, and then returns back to finish the first story. In this example, the situation with his family is just the bread, setting up the real question, the real focal point, which is the religious leader's question. And you got to get that because if you don't, you'll start to feel like Jesus is just being really mean to his family. Now, to be fair, it is really clear that his brothers were skeptical about him and that they thought he had lost his mind. Until, by the way, chapters later when he calls his own death and resurrection and then actually pulls it off because when that happens his own brother James believes so strongly in him that he becomes a pillar of the early church but that's a story for another day the point is in this Markan sandwich Jesus is making a much bigger point he is pointing everyone to the answer he gave to the religious leaders that a house divided can't stand. Meaning, if he had really lost his mind, or if he was really a demon, darkness allowing him to do all these things, he wouldn't be able to cast out darkness. After all, you can't cast out darkness with more darkness. You're going to need a light for that. There's really only a few explanations for how Jesus was able to do the signs he was doing. Either he was summoning a really dark and powerful spirit to help him, or he is the light of the world, the king of kings. And so those stories about Jesus talking to his family are actually just the bread serving up the middle of the sandwich, which is the real problem. The religious leaders thinking that Jesus had a demon, thinking that Jesus was possessed and that he was casting out darkness with darkness. In other words, Jesus is addressing the religious leaders' excuses, their reasons for not following him fully. And to really drive that point home, he goes, hey, here's who's a part of the family. It's those who listen to the things that I say and actually put them into action. This passage isn't giving us advice for how to speak to our family. It's so much bigger than that. In this story, Mark is proving that Jesus really is who he said he was. He couldn't do what he did with an unclean spirit which only leaves one option. He must be the Son of God, the Messiah. And so, this story is one of many that brings us back to us, brings us back to what we believe, how we answer the question, who is this man? Are we treating Jesus like he really is the one with the authority to cast out the darkness in our lives? who has a good plan for us and that we should let him lead the way or 
are we treating Jesus just as a good teacher? Someone who had some good things to say, maybe a, a wise counselor that we'll listen to every once in a while, because the offer on the table today is to once again surrender and trust Jesus to lead our lives as we follow. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. We hope Season 6 is bringing Mark's Gospel to life for you, and that this episode helped you see the bigger picture Mark is painting for us. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to share it with your friends, and rating and review it goes a long way as well. We love getting to tell these stories and appreciate you coming along for the ride. So we'll see you next time for our next story.